If you have your Bible, you can turn to that passage. It's in Micah chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. If you're not familiar with, with Micah, that's okay. It's an Old Testament small book. If you hit Matthew in the New Testament and start turning towards the Old Testament, you'll get there even quicker than going through your, uh, your concordance in the back or your, um, your table of contents in the beginning. Um, it's been amazing as I was even listening to Omar and, and the team sing that song. What was on my heart for this year, about a year ago, we sat, our staff went out to a, to a place in just west of Houston. And as we sat around and we prayed for the church, and as we talked about uh, our hopes and plans and dreams and thoughts for the year, um, we, we ended up in this place where we said, we need to write these words down, come to the table. And the idea was that we would gather in large family groups around tables throughout the year in different places and parks and homes and yards and things like that. This idea was that we would show our community what the joy of the fellowship in Christ looks like. And then COVID happened. And right now, if you were to sit in your front yard with 12 people who aren't blood related to you, you would get looks, bricks, who knows what would come your way, right? It's a different season. But as I'm listening to Omar and I'm hearing the song sung, I'm thinking, you know, it's amazing that we as believers in Jesus Christ can sing about his death and his resurrection with joy. I mean, on the way to the cross, we can smile. And on the way to Calvary, we can rejoice. Why? Well, the reason for that is simple, is that we know that as Jesus was making his way to the cross, he was preparing the table before us. Amen? Amen. Let's do this. Can we pull the lights up a little bit? I want folks in the room to be able to see your Bibles as you come to them. We're going to pull that up just a hair. In Micah chapter 5, this is the first step of that puzzle. This is the first piece of that plan together. And this Christmas, I got really creative. I thought, let's do a series on Christmas joy. And as I was thinking about that, is if there's anything that we need right now, is to be reminded not only of what's before us, but we need to be reminded of the life that we live in right now. Thanksgiving may have been a little bit different for you. Maybe there were less people around the table this year for the first time in history. Maybe you were trying to decide something that we had to figure out. How do you cook small portions of green bean casserole? Like it only comes in one size, 9 by 16, right? Or whatever size that Pyrex dish is, right? How, how many sweet potatoes do you need? You know what's sad is when pumpkin pie comes in little side dishes because you don't have enough people to eat the normal amount of pies. In heaven, pumpkin pie will not be cooked like that, I'm pretty sure. It's just been different as we've <clears throat> looked at or thought about the ways that, that we haven't been able to come to the table. But, but I want you to know as we start these four Sundays leading up to Christmas, these Advent Sundays, they're all about reminding us of the joy that is before us. And today we're going to talk about that unstoppable joy. So in your Bible, look with me in Micah chapter 5 verse 1 the bible says this now muster your troops o daughter of muster your troops o daughter of troops siege is laid against us 
with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. I want you to, to, to stop right there. As we look into this passage, we start to say, this doesn't seem like the right way to begin a Christmas story. Gather your troops, you people whom your judge is getting beaten down. It almost begs you to believe something that you can't see yet. This past week, um, we went to one of our happy places. We were up in the Ozark Mountains um, just with our family and getting to be outside together and enjoying that. And the one day it was going to be the perfect temperature. It was supposed to be 64 or so in the afternoon. It was a great outside day. We woke up and it was so foggy you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And it was cold. I'm thinking, <clears throat> the weatherman said it was going to be sunny and warm. So we had a choice. Do we allow the fog to depress us, or do we believe the weatherman? Now, I want you to know, I normally don't believe the weatherman, but this day, we were looking at the weather app, and it showed that it was going to be really foggy and really cold about 7 in the morning. And about 8 in the morning, it was going to be foggy but warmer. 9, but, but by 11 o'clock, it was going to be sunny and warm. Do you know, sitting on that porch in the foggy, cold morning having my cup of coffee, I was not depressed that the fog was there. Do you know why? Because I expected it to come before the sun broke through. And I believed that day my weather app would be right. And do you know what happened? It doesn't happen often. But it was right. The sun came through, the fog dissipated, everything heated up, and we had a wonderful day outside. We were living in the fog, but with the mindset of the sun. You see, this is what this story is all about. It's about you and I knowing, even though you may be living in the fog right now, that before you were ever born, before your mama's mama's mama was ever a thought, that the Lord said, there's going to be a fog before the sun breaks through. He called his shot. He told the enemy his plan, knowing he could do nothing about it. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel, feel great to say, I'm going to hit a home run and there's nothing you can do about it. I've never known that feeling, but I believe it. To just have that moment of that confidence. Well, that's what I want to give you today as we read in God's Word. So look at verse 1 again because it's key. The Bible says it this way. Now muster your troops, <clears throat> O daughter of Zion, of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. You see, the first thing we have to understand is we have to understand the fog. In other words, we have to know the position of the people. If we're going to really get the truth and glean the deep stuff out of this passage, we need to understand their situation. Do you see, before there were kings in Israel, there were what? There were judges. <clears throat> and do you know what the judges' role in Israel was? They basically had one job, to whoop up on the enemies of God. That was the judges' one role. What was Samson supposed to do? He is supposed to whoop up on the enemy of God, right? What was Gideon supposed to do? He's supposed to whoop up on the enemy of God. What did Deborah give the charge to? to? Every time, their job was to embarrass the enemy of God. And so when the kings were established, 
they became kind of this de facto judge role. We might call them a shadow king of God. They had one job, to protect and make great the name of God and his people. Well, let me tell you what's happening as Micah prophesies this word. He says, gather your troops, O Israel. Bring everybody together because your king is getting embarrassed. That's rough. That's like watching David and Goliath go out onto the battlefield, and this time you're rooting for Goliath. The guy who is supposed to put it all right to take care of your enemy, getting embarrassed by a child on the field. You see, the people of God, as this prophecy goes out, are getting embarrassed at the way that they are being defeated by the ungodly people. They have lost their land. They have no rights. They are scattered about. And they are not second, but third-class citizens. And the ones who still dwell at home, well, they dwell there because they're so unimportant and so bad off that no one wants them in their territory. You see, church, this picture of the king getting struck on the cheek It's meant to show that things can't get worse. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe that's part of your story right now. As you're writing out your story, wherever you are in life, things things aren't writing out like the playwright should have. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, All of a sudden, things aren't falling in line the ways they should. Well, if that's ever been your story, if you've ever had a bad day, let me tell you why the Lord puts us in here. Because the good news can't be appreciated until the gravity of the hopelessness of life without the Lord is made evident. And so God says, let me show you the gravity of it. I believe Adam and Eve felt it in the garden. I believe the people of God wrote it in the Old Testament and the people in the New Testament lived that same story. You see, this thread of reality, when you and I find ourselves living on our own, when you and I find ourselves trying to create or muster our own joyful troops, trying to overcome the season, trying to overcome our struggles, trying to make good for others, The Lord says, if you're trying to live without me, you need to understand how bad off you are so that you will look for the good that has always been right before you. Verse 2, Micah chapter 5, says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old and from ancient of days. You see, verse 2, we see something about God. We see the persistence of the Lord. First of all, we have to understand the position of our people without God, that without the Lord, even our good days are that foggy, cold morning where we're stumbling it around trying to make the best of it. But verse 2 reminds us that persistence of God isn't something he started today. God didn't just become faithful yesterday afternoon. He didn't just have this idea that, oh, he, he forgot about your little life 
or this little city or this nation, and he's just now waking up. You see, the persistence of the Lord's been throughout Scripture. The thread that's pulled through points to the past and to the future. He says, Oh, you Bethlehem, you're too little among the clans of Judah. One will come forth who will be, who is to be the ruler, but whose coming forth is from ancient of days. This is amazing. We think about it now, Bethlehem, as the birthplace of the Messiah. But that's not how Israel thought about Bethlehem. Bethlehem in its heyday was only made popular because the greatest king of Israel came from there, King David. He was a shepherd boy who God pulled from obscurity through a town of nothing and made the greatest king of Israel. By the time Micah is sharing these words, the king David would have been as real as the stories of Paul, the stories of John and Luke. Like They would have known they were real. But at this season of life, they would have found they would have heard or shared like a story that my grandparents, grandparents, grandparents used to talk about. Bethlehem, by Micah's time, was nothing again. It was forgotten. But what the Lord does through Micah here is he says, listen, let me stir up your memory because the king that is coming is not David. The king that is coming is one who is to come, but whose origins are ancient. He's pointing to this past and future kind of life. What the people in the world had thought were insignificant were never insignificant. What was outdated by the current administration was always in style in God's plan. The old school didn't need reimagining. The persistence of the Lord reminds us that what was important to the Lord then is important to the Lord now. Have you ever thought about that? When you read the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, have you ever read their stories as your story? The promises that God makes to his people in the New Testament. Have you remembered that they are your story as well? If we look through the story of of Moses, of Abraham, of Isaac, of David, if we look at the life of, of Samuel, of Daniel, if we look in the New Testament to Luke, to Mark, if we look at John's life, do you know that this life that they lived in, attacked by sin, this running to God and then finding themselves drifting and repenting and returning, this up and down kind of life where they live in the pages of history, have you ever thought that that's your story too? That God is just per- as persistent in his promise to you as his child as he was with Daniel, David, Moses, Paul, or John. That may be hard to imagine. Today you may feel insignificant. You may feel forgotten. You might feel like you're battling in ways where no one else sees you. Let me tell you why we can smile. 
because the one who was from old and ancient of days is the one who is coming and he is persistent with his children. And so he is coming for you. Verse 3 says this way, Therefore he shall give them up until a time when she who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. This is about the promise of Christ's coming, first of all. That this is the, this is the big deal. I know when we talk about the coming of Christ, we, we tend to go to, to the tribulation. We talk about the second coming. All of a the sudden, these left-behind books have shaped the way that we think about what's coming to the Lord. But let me tell you, the coming of the Lord is beautiful, not because of the transition, but because of the establishment. I mean, listen to what the Lord says to you and to me today. When he returns, when the one who is in birth gives labor, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. He says a family reunion is waiting. A family gathering like you can't believe, like a marriage supper for the lamb is waiting. When I, when I started pinning my notes this week, I didn't think that, that the family reunion would be so potent when we're sitting around small Thanksgiving tables. What the Bible says is your relatives from far off, those in other countries and who speak other languages, those who are dressed and draped in the robes of Jesus Christ, that there will be a family reunion like you can't imagine. To Israel, this would have opened up their life. They're waiting for this Messiah would have stirred them up deep because they're scattered. Do you know we're living in a future, future kind of way? Do you know that you and I get to live in a way that Israel never got to live in? Because right now they're waiting for the birth of Christ and his future kingdom, and we live in the shadow of the manger. In our present, their future, Christ and his spirit are already his work. We don't have to trust his promise for tomorrow based on nothing because we live in his promise for today. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he draws his family together. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You think about that. What's he doing? He's gathering the family. It's a promise that you and I in Christ in this life can draw the family together who's been scattered apart. In Corinthians, he says that we are one body, that we are given our giftedness. Why? So that we can live as a family because of his coming. But our future is still to come. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, where we will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Psalm 23 maybe gives us a little bit of the foretaste of that. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. What does he do? He prepares a table before me. Church, this morning, I want you to know that it is the persistence of God that shows us the reality of Christ's coming. And as we live in this future, future kind of life, the joy that the Lord spoke of hundreds and thousands of years ago is ours today because we see his promise fulfilled. We have the promise of Christ's coming, but we also have the promise of his role. Listen to verse 4. 
It says, and he shall stand and his shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of his God, and they will dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Church, this passage reminds us that we serve one who has the role to provide. We have this standing shepherd. Years ago, when we, would, we went to Israel on a trip, we went to Bethlehem, and we walked into a cave. And this cave was where shepherds would keep sheep at night. And what they would do is it was a long, broad, wide mouth cave, and they would roll rocks and put rocks up as a fence, except for a place about as wide as I'm standing. And the shepherds would take turns standing at the opening. You see, it was their role to make sure that their sheep had everything they needed for the night. It was their role to make sure that they were fed. It was their role to make sure that they were warm. It was their role to make sure that they were safe. What the Bible says for you and I today is that we have a shepherd who is able to stand at the gate and ensure that all the joy of his coming will last forever. You see, we like to look back to the good old days, don't we? Now, the good old days for you may have been the 50s. For me, the good old days were in the 80s. Do you know why? I was a child. As a child, we lived on 100 acres of land. You would leave at breakfast, be home for lunch, leave again, and come home before dark. If you didn't, it was a bad moment. But you had all day to play and to run. Food was magically on the table. It's this crazy thing. If we wanted to go to the movies, we magically had a ticket. We just got to delight in the security of our providers. That was the good old days for me. For Israel, it was King David delighting in the security of their shepherd king. You see, the Lord is stirring up all of these thoughts, all these remembrances, not so that they would dwell in the past, but so that they would look to the future. Church, this morning, I want you to know every promise in Scripture, every piece of God's story is to stir you up and to get your joy rolling so that you can live today in the fog or in the clearing knowing that your future has been secured by the shepherd king jesus verse 5 says this and he shall be their peace you see the promise of christ is his coming it is found in his role and it is secured in his peace church I think this is a word that gets redefined a lot. As if peace is boring. You know, when you get to heaven, when you die, it's going to be so peace, there's no conflict. So it's going to be, it's going to be boring. You're going to drape yourself in your grandma's white uh, sheet she used to put on her bed, and everybody's going to be given a harp, and you're going to sit on a cloud and eat grapes, because that's the only food I've ever seen in any picture besides some, like, Wheaties-looking grain. Church, that is not peace. 
That is the enemy's screensaver for hell. Amen? That is not what heaven will look like. The Bible says that he shall be our peace. In other words, in him, we won't have to worry about anything interrupting the joy of our work in the Lord. The joy of our relationships the challenges of our interactions, they will all happen in the peace of our shepherd king. Is that what you're looking forward to as you think of Christmas? Have, have you been dwelling on an eternity that is wrong pictured? Well, let me tell you what Micah chapter 5 says to the people of Israel and to believers today. The persistence of the Lord will be fulfilled in his promise today and forevermore. And you can live life to the fullest. And you can do so without worry. Have you ever watched toddlers play around a parent at the park, at church? They have the best time. They can take crayon and Rice Krispies and life is happy. They can build amazing cities in their mind with Legos and blocks. They can swing and test the limits of the world around them. As long as their mom or dad or someone that they know is able stands and secures their peace. You see, in heaven, you and I will not be limited by the fears of this world, by the concerns of falling down, because our shepherd king will stand and secure our peace. That, church, is what we look forward to. We don't look to the manger to remember a baby boy. We look to the, to the manger as another promise kept by the king who secures our future. Church, this morning, is that king securing your future? Is that king the one who has marked your life who no matter how foggy it is of a day, you know the sun is coming. That's the unstoppable joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we do so realizing that the joy that you have given us, Lord, is something that you called years ago. Lord, that you have been unstoppable since the day you spoke this world into existence and your plan is unstoppable still. So Lord, even at this moment, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who feels like they are living in the fog of embarrassment or pain or, or disease or hurt, God, Lord, I pray right now that you would allow that fog to dissipate for a moment so that they could hear the words of your persistent 
Lord, that they may know the peace of your coming. Father God, if there's any person in this room or online who's living in the fear of the fog, that any moment something could cause them to break loose and they are living in the hopelessness of everything that they find security in being struck and embarrassed. Father God, this morning, would you show them that the promised life is being given through your son, through your people. Lord, would you cast the line and allow them to take hold of it this morning and profess Jesus Christ as their shepherd king and allow them to know the joy of the future that has been had in you. In Jesus' name, amen.